Hi everyone, Master Jedi Colleen here, co-host of Bohemian Geek Studies and yet another Star Wars podcast. But I'm not only a podcaster, I'm also an author. My second novel was published last fall and it debuted as number one horror novel on Amazon, which was really cool. If you like Stephen King, weird happenings in small towns, or just looking for a new writer, give my novel The Falls a try. It's set in Minnesota where everyone wears that nice facade. Nothing is ever what it seems. Find the Falls by Colleen McMillan on Amazon and the Between the Lines publishing website. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I was going to say, like, the whole point I'm of Star a, Wars I'm is to get him to shoot those freaking things to kill the Death Star. You took that the whole design of that movie. I'm a little... Things didn't go the way you I'm thought. No, I'm just a little... <laughs> Stallone's playing soccer? Yeah. What's going on? I'm I, watching this. I saw that at a very young age, and I didn't... You're coming at me hard. I'm not coming You're at you hard. At, yeah, you are. I just don't believe her choices. Her choices are ridiculous. Give yeah. me, ever, give me an emotion. That. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. What's going on? Nothing. All right. I'm just uh, I'm listening. playing a game. It's a game called Burglary. How about a nice game of chess? <laughs> yes, what are we doing today? We are doing the 1973 film. No, nope, 1972. 1972. Damn it. The 19- <laughs> we are doing the 1972 film Sleuth. That's right. Based on the renowned play of the same name, this mystery finds Andrew White, a wealthy author of detective novels and game aficionado, facing off against his wife's lover, Milo Tyndall middle-class hair salon owner. When Wyke, who is seemingly content to split from his wife, strikes an unusual deal with Tyndall, it sets into motion a fierce game of one-upmanship between the two, with the stakes growing increasingly higher. Eh, okay. Not eh, bad. Not bad. Uh, this movie, Sleuth, has a runtime of 138 minutes, and it feels it. Rated <laughs> PG. Production budget of $3.5 million. It had a release date of Sunday, December 10th, 1972. Obviously, this movie is so old that the lot back then, the release dates were just they were out and the movie just came out. It wasn't like every Friday a new movie came out. So right. uh, and we've come up against this uh, a couple of times with older films. Uh, it's opening weekend. It did $4 million domestic and worldwide are the same. Uh, the note I have is it's 5.7 million total, but that is also including rentals, which I'm not sure if that means. I don't theater think it means, rentals I, or, I think it means theater. I, I do not think it, I think it means like renting out the theater to show the movie. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, so that's where that little caveat is there. Production company was Palomar Pictures International, and it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Okay, so I said it came out on the 10th of December, 1972, so I guess you could consider this a a Christmas movie. Uh, On the 13th, you had The Poseidon Adventure and The Getaway, and then on the 21st of December, you had Jeremiah Johnson, so that was the holiday films for that that year. Those are good films. You've seen all of those? Uh, I've seen parts of Jeremiah Johnson. I know... A lot about it. Everyone knows know. the Jeremiah Johnson meme that they mistake that for somebody else, but it's Robert Redford. Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't look like Robert Redford. No, not at all. Uh, but then when you really, when someone tells you that's Robert Redford, then you're like, okay, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
though. And then after that, the only movie I, they had listed was the 27th of January, which is a full month uh, from that was Last Tango in Paris. And then that's it. So there's not a lot that it's movies were different back then when they got released. <laughs> and movie theaters were a lot different back in the day. Uh, this one was this movie was directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. He has won two Oscars, one for A Letter to Three Wives and All About Eve. He's also done Cleopatra. This had the screenplay was written by the uh, same person who wrote the play. So he wrote basically adapted his own play, Anthony Schaefer or Schaffer. Uh, he has written the uh, Hitchcock film Frenzy. Uh, he did the Wicker Man, the original Wicker Man. He also did the 74 Mur Murder on the Orient Express and 1978's Death on the Nile. I'm just saying the, nice. the years there because obviously the remakes have come out and Death on, Death on the Nile should be out already, right? Uh, when this episode comes out, Death on yeah. the Nile will be out. Uh, I don't think I've seen Frenzy. The uh, Hitchcock one? Yeah. Which one's that? Uh, oh no, you're gonna put me on the spot here. Is that the one that's done like a play? It's done in one room. No, that's Rope. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen Rope yet either. I uh, man, I, I I'm blanking. That's fine. I know <laughs> it, like I know it's Hitchcock, and I can envision the poster. I'm just blanking on. I'm mixing it with other Hitchcock films. Oh, gotcha. Great job, Mike. Cinematographer <laughs> is Oswald Morris. He has won an Oscar for cinematography for the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, he also was nominated for The Wiz and Oliver. He's done also The Dark Crystal and The 7% Solution. That's a movie I actually really want to see that I keep meaning to try to get to, and I forget. Is constantly. it on your Criterion channel? Oh, you know what? I didn't even check, but I'm going to write it down so I remember to re watch it. Yeah, right. I right. actually saw Fid <laughs> Look at the border over there. I got movies written down that I want to watch. Look, see? Oh, snap. Yeah, right? Yeah, what's that? What's that now? Uh, did, you, I, did you ever see Fiddler on the Roof? I've seen Fiddler on the I've Roof. I saw Fiddler on the Roof in a college class. I don't even know why we were watching it. I can't. It wasn't for the class. It was just we were just watching Fiddler on the Roof. Hey, guys, I got a wicked hangover. Pretty so, much. Uh, here's Fiddler on the Roof. This is a math class. It's like I was going to Greendale. <laughs> uh, composer, <laughs> composer is John Addison. He, uh, he won an Oscar for the movie Tom Jones. He's also uh, done The Bridge Too Far. And he was the he's also composed the TV theme and actually probably most of the music in the show for Murder, She Wrote. For those uh, Jessica Fletcher, that kind of makes there. sense. Yeah, <laughs> edited by Richard Martin, who's done Reds, Hellraiser, Hellbound, Hellraiser, and Hellbound, Hellraiser Two, and the 1990 uh, movie Hamlet, and then produced by Morton Gottlieb, who's done Romantic Comedy. That's the actual name of the movie. And same time next year. All right, so let me give you this cast. It is loaded with people. God, so we many the time, people, man. Cut it down a little bit. There are two people in this cast: <laughs> uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier and Michael Caine. Uh, so there are there are definitely uh, you're not you're not wanting for great talent in this movie. So uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier plays Andrew Wake and he has here's uh, we've never done a movie with uh, Olivier. So I'm going to give you all the movies that he was nominated for an Oscar and we won. Ha he, we haven't done an Olivier movie. No, we have not. Wow. He won an Oscar for his role in Hamlet, not the 90 version. That was Mel Gibson, everyone. But he was nominated for The Boys from Brazil, Wuthering Heights, Rebecca, uh, The Entertainer, Othello. Marathon Man, and I believe Richard III, but he also was nominated for a movie and get ready for the title, Butler, The Chronicle History of King Henry V with his battle fought at Agincourt, Agincourt in France. That's the entire title. Yep. That's a that's ridiculous. Yep. Could you imagine working at the theater? The and you, yeah, the Marquis. I need you to put this up. Are you kidding me? I just need initials. <laughs> we still don't have enough letters. <laughs> Um, if you if you're not aware of Sir Lawrence Olivier, uh, I I know he, he passed away in '89, so it's I mean I can understand a lot of people now knowing him, but he's an older actor. But yeah, Bridge Too Far is something you might want to catch. Absolutely, uh, I think any of his Marathon Man. Stuff. I'm trying to think of stuff that maybe was maybe people would 
kind of gravitate towards it's relatively new. Marathon Man, I guess. That's not really well, showing that, off as... Yeah, but that's him in Hoffman. Dude, that's, that whole yeah. scene is... I'm just saying something that's I mean, that's got, newer. one of my favorite parts about Lawrence Olivier when uh, Hoffman goes to run. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I gotta run. He runs like a mile and a half to get in shape. And he was running with the cross-country <laughs> runners. And he goes, why don't you just try acting? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Olivier. Okay, then you had Michael Caine as Milo Tyndall. He was nominated for an Oscar for In Alfie. Educating Rita, the quiet American. He's won two Oscars. For his supporting role in Hannah and Her Sisters, and then the Cider House Rules, which I've not seen in quite some time, and I keep meaning to go back. This is like the third time we've brought up Cider House Rules. In a, in well, we months. well we brought it up uh, when we did Pint, but forgotten February. So did, I, I think there was February stuff, and then I think we did it one other time. I too. believe so. Yeah. All right. Uh, whatever. So now this movie, Sleuth, was nominated for four Academy Awards: Best Score. Uh, best Director and Best Actor, which was Kane and Olivier. So they clearly split the vote, which is why they didn't win that year. Uh, I'm not going to do, hey, Butler, what do you think? Who do you think won that year? Because I, I'm going to tell you who else was nominated, and you're already going to know, know who won. So Peter O'Toole was nominated for The Ruling Class, Paul Winfield for Sounder, and Marlon Brando for a movie called The Godfather. Um, who do you think won? What's The Godfather? I don't know if I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But si- yeah. So he won for The Godfather. Side note, this is completely off topic. The Godfather won Best Picture that year, but Coppola didn't win Best Director. Bob Fosse did for Cabaret, and I know I always rail about that, but how do you not get Best Director when you do Best? I didn't realize that. This is one of the only films that was up for Best Director that wasn't also up for Best Picture, too. Sleuth, yeah. Yeah. Sleuth did not have a Best Picture nod, but but Mankiewicz got nominated for Best Director. Yeah, I don't get it. Politics, I guess. Politics. And another Academy Award note, so Addison was uh, nominated for Best Score, but he wasn't initially nominated. Mm-hmm. He got in because Godfather was nominated, but was disqualified because the love theme they used in the Godfather was from another movie that the composer yeah, had done. Yeah, Speak Softly Love isn't originally yeah. uh, from so the Godfather. that DQ'd Godfather, and then Sleuth came in uh, with the nomination. So I guess it is, it is an honor to be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you had not seen this? You oh, had I seen have this? seen this, okay. yeah. So this is an older film that we have both seen. I have, it's been quite a while since I've seen this. Uh, so I was I was glad that we could go back. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a few years for me as yeah. well. What's your, uh, I guess, I don't know, first impressions? I love this film. <laughs> I love the dialogue. I love that it's, you know, this is the exact opposite of last week with The Shape of Things, where I talk about how the dialogue's too play-y and it's not real. This is, this is play-y but This too, is also but so play-y, play-y, but it too. works. It's, it's, I guess, the way it presents itself. This presents itself kind of like a play, kind of like um, Noises Off, in a way. In this kind of, it's larger than life. It's like the, it's... I don't want to say it's like Clue, the film Clue, because well, I think the location gives you murder. that, makes but you it gives think you that. that kind of vibe, but also that kind of fun, the music behind it, the fact that it's kind of like a, a fun, like mystery, but it's more about how they get to it than what the mystery is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just really, really works for me. It makes me want to be in like this movie as I'm watching. It makes me want to be one of the characters in this I film. Gotcha, like, yeah. I want to be one of these guys. I want to do wanna this be play. Tindall. You want to be? Tindall. Oh, who doesn't? Yeah, absolutely. Tindall gets to do two parts. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm curious. When you first watched this film, uh, did you realize that Kane was the second part? So in this movie, for those who maybe don't know, uh, Olivier, is, um, excuse me, let me use their let me use their character names. So as as Wyke invites Tyndall comes over to Wyke's mansion. He's this huge game enthusiast, and he's a huge he's a writer, and he basically is going over there to try to get Wyke to divorce his wife. Right, like that's Milo's been having an affair with. Yeah. Wyke's wife, who they are already kind of separated. Wyke's sleeping with someone else as well. He's got a and Milo just yep. wants him to get a divorce, yeah, so that Milo can marry Margaret. Yes, which is Andrew Wyke's wife. Wife. They um, 
And he plays a game with him. Wake plays a game with Tendo, pretend, hey, why don't you pretend to rob my house? Steal the yeah, jewelry. My wife has expensive taste, right. so rob this jewelry. Yes. You can sell half of it. I'll get the insurance money for it because I need some money right now. Yeah. And, and then boom, you can go off and happy. take care of my wife because she's going to be neat. And then he he shoot he he it's shoots a trick him. to like scare the shit out. Yeah, of him. yeah, he shoots him, and then it ends, and it's like end of act one. And then act two begins, and Wyke is at home, everything's cleaned up, and uh, inspector shows up. This detective inspector shows up, uh, who Potter Potter in the Potter, yeah, shows up and basically breaks down everything that happened. He's gonna he, he you know he kind of or not plotter Doppler Doppler excuse me who is a plotter exactly that's why I'm thinking <laughs> that. Gets him to, um, he kind of basically pushes White, where White just admits like, no, it was a game, and I, it was a blank, and he reveals that it was a blank. I didn't kill him. He waked up. He was, he was all like upset and, and angry with me, but I sent him on his way, and I haven't seen him since, and this guy's saying, oh, he's disappeared. Is that, and basically, you find out that Doppler is actually uh, Tyndall dressed up and- and Trying to scare White. Trying to, scare, trying to get turnabouts fair play. And then, and then Tyndall ends up after that, all you got me. Then Tyndall says, Hey, your mistress came over and I killed her. And you know, there's cops are coming and, and cops are I've coming. Set you up for the set murder. Set you up for the murder. You've got to find the four pieces in the, in this room and kind of pulls another trick on Wake. And then it just kind of, and then it devolves into where um, at the end, Wake is embarrassed because of that mm-hmm. and ends up shooting Tyndall. And killing him, and then the real cops show up, and it turns yeah. out Tyndall wasn't lying about that. Right, right, right. So uh, it's a little back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between two people. My question—I don't know why I had to go explain all things. My question <laughs> to you was: When you first saw it, did you realize that Michael Caine was Doppler? I thought there was something off about Doppler, but I, with the first time I saw it, I definitely saw it in like HBO or Cinemax or something, and I caught it right as. Michael Caine was getting killed in the clown outfit. And I, I only watched it because I was flipping through the channels and it was Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine. And I had never heard of Sleuth. And I was like, oh, what? Yeah. And he shoots him. I figured he was dead and the cop shows up. That's exactly where I started okay. right in his right. death scene on the stairs. Okay. And I had no idea that that was going to happen. But, you know, you start to kind of get, there's something off about that, but he doesn't look quite right. Right. But the, the makeup is well done. But yeah, it looks a little off. But I never really... I wasn't shocked when he revealed himself to be Tyndall, but at the same time, I wasn't fully expecting it. Did that affect your second viewing of it for this? Yes. I mean, obviously, I knew it was going to be him, but I loved it. That made me love it even more. It didn't negatively affect it. It didn't negatively affect it at all. Because it's not not about who is Doppler and, and, Mm -hmm. oh, Tyndall. It's, it's, It's about the game. It's not about... Like I said, it's not about the mystery itself. Right. It's about how they're solving and going about the game or the mystery. Right. So they... They kind of tried to when they when this movie was coming out, they were trying to hide the fact there was only two actors. Yeah. In it. So in the beginning, the production and marketing team would use fake names in press releases. They would add people like, "Oh, this person's in the movie. This person's in the movie," and they still have them on the Wikipedia page. Like it's not real. <laughs> Credit only Alex yeah. Cawthorn as Inspector Doppler. <laughs> John Matthews as Detective Sergeant Tarrant. And like Rex Reed was on the did interviews with Mankiewicz, and they were like talking about how he would talk about how like oh there's going to be some cameos in this oh, yep. film and. So they were trying to put you off on the scent, which is nowadays you couldn't do that because everyone needs to know everything. But back then, if you're not familiar with the play, I guess that could that really, you know, holds true. You would have to have like actors actually come to set and have like paparazzi take pictures of them. Yeah. And like have them in like cloaks. And it's like, oh, look at that. Like uh, if it was a movie that was highly anticipated. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like the next big Marvel movie or something. And you had like. These weird actors come in. It turns out they they weren't in the movie at all. Like, well, they did that for Doctor Who, the last Doctor Who they tried to cast with Jodie Whittaker. They were bringing in people and pretending that they were 
they were shooting Part fake stuff and they were shooting. Yeah. So they were trying to, they were playing that game. Right. Bit, which I'm sure they'll do again. Which you kind of have to. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, uh, I, I, I like that aspect, but no. what's also weird is though you talk about how they did that. That's a Tony uh, award winning play. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have seen the play cause it performed. It was on it, Broadway and yep. for forever, like something like 2000, 3000 shows. It, it ran on Broadway. Uh, it's, it's open on Broadway, November 12th, 1970. And it ran for, uh, 1,222 performances that run right. might've come back since then. And it won the 1971 Tony award for best play. Yeah. Though so, I mean, some people already knew. Yeah. And the <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe award that's on the mantle in the movie that Olivier points to and Kane grabs, like he's going to break it. That's actually Schaffer's award for the play. So he actually, that's his award that they used up there. They kept going to it. Like they're going to break that. They kept, they kept doing this thing in there with the editing where they kept cutting away to stills of, of different things. Right. And I didn't know if that was just to break it up. Or they had a cut somewhere, like you know what I mean? Like they were just trying to hide stuff. I feel like it's a little bit of both, kind yeah. of pad the movie, but also hide stuff. It also makes you think that they're gonna play a bigger role mm-hmm. in, in the film and they don't. The only one that plays any kind of role is like Laughing John or whatever it is, or Laughing Jack. Oh, what the uh the doll? The, the doll the, that the, laughs the pirate thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. the only one that actually has anything to do with the mystery. Which is Olivier's laughter. That's what they use there for that track. So let me ask you this. Um Kane was the third choice to play the role. Mm-hmm. Do you know about the other two? I did yesterday. No, I don't have. Okay, that's though. fine. So Albert <laughs> Finney was deemed too heavy at right. the time, I guess. Which and then, is fine. And they were going to offer to Alan Bates. Who, oh, because he walked out. He turned it down because <laughs> he went to go see the play. And he walked out of the play saying, like, d- claiming that the role was unbecoming of an actor of his stature. But he walked out in intermission because he didn't realize. He walked out after Milo was killed and didn't realize that he comes back. He thought his character yeah. dies halfway. So he, so he, he blew it. <laughs> What a bitch. (laughs) So are you glad that obviously it fell to Kane? It's absolutely. It's Michael Kane's role. He's so good in it. He's perfectly charming and devious and uh, deceitful, but he's also having fun with Andrew during some of the scenes when he's the clown. It's just, they play off each other so well. I can't imagine anyone having such great chemistry with Olivier like that. And you need someone of Kane's stature who can really, I mean, maybe Finney. Finney's a a fantastic actor as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Although I don't, ha- I don't think I've seen much young Finney. Um, yeah, you're talking like Big Fish. Yeah, I've mostly yeah. seen him like uh, since I've been around. Uh, Big Fish and uh, what's the movie with Julia Roberts when she's fighting when she plays the woman that's fighting? Uh, Aaron Brockovich. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that's that's the kind of thing where I've seen him. So I don't know if he'd play a good young Milo because Milo's supposed to be young and virile and and everything. He's that supposed Andrew to be the opposite of Olivia, yeah. yeah, of Voik. Yeah. So. I think Michael Caine, you know, 1970s Michael Caine inhabits all of that. You know, he's mm-hmm. kind of got this James Bond kind of swagger going on. And I think that works really well. And uh, I just, yeah, I can't see anyone else in that role. Although then Jude Law played him. And well, I still can't see anyone else. Well, we'll get to that because we both watched the remake <laughs> that was directed by Kenneth Branagh that actually Michael Caine plays the Olivier part. And then Jude Law plays Caine's uh, old part. So right. and that came out 2007. Uh, but I, I, I was I was thinking about setting aside some time for us to discuss That's the fine. differences. But um, yeah, I think that that is Kane's role in mm-hmm, general. Mm-hmm. I think the two of them together is what makes this movie so watchable. Like you say, it feels like two hours and 18 minutes, but I don't think so because I loathe a lot of movies from the 70s that I have to watch. Even if I like them, it's, they're like, I love the French Connection, but it feels like it's nine hours long. 
but I'll always watch it if it's on or if I'm bored or like, and I see it's, oh, okay, it's free streaming. There's just moments in this movie for me, and maybe it's modern sensibilities, and you know I do appreciate plays being adapted, that I just felt like it, it was a lot of, they were repeating themselves over and over again with certain things they were saying. I mean, that's all. all right. But it wasn't like to the point where I was like, this is terrible. I just, it, it, I could, I felt the link. That's all. <laughs> See, that's the thing is like I didn't because I think it moves. I think mm-hmm. they're all a they're they are literally always moving. Mm-hmm. It all takes place in Andrew's estate, a little bit outside, mostly just inside. But everyone's always walking around, moving, doing something, which is very play like, mm-hmm. you know, keep your cast moving, playing with things, keep it visually interesting. They're always talking. They always have quit wit. They always have something to say to each other. There's very little silence other than the weird pans and kind of cutaways to their uh, his yes. automatons. <laughs> which are not toys they're automatons everyone in working order i might add uh, uh <laughs> who's the, i keep on that a lot that's why he needs the money for the jewelry because co- toys probably cost too much to keep going. <laughs> uh but yeah i I've, it was very very engaging I, I i'm gonna be honest i have like almost no notes for this film because i was just watching it i have like maybe five notes written really? down while i was watching Terrible. i i think this movie is fantastic um, from start to finish, I really do like this movie. Well, let me ask. We talked about this with Betsy's wedding, and uh, for those who don't know, that was the movie we did a couple weeks ago, probably last season, right? Yes, last season uh, with uh, Alan Alda. Alan Alda, and one of our conversations there was uh, how you know Alan Alda coming from the stage, he wrote that movie, and there was a lot of mixing of genres in the movie, and, and we we felt that it was stilted and didn't, you know, what I mean, like, among other things, right? Uh, that it kind of affected the overall not just the different plots different subplots in that movie affecting the main plot but how they were different like it was comedy drama you know like that kind of stuff it was back and forth it didn't know what it wanted to be but that right. was the conversation true, we were yeah but in this movie they they there, there is a little bit i thought once the when the clown outfit ends up when he puts the clown outfit on they're like oh you're gonna break in and he's trying to walk up the steps with the big shoes. I, I thought it got a little goofy. It does and, get a little too goofy. And that's that what point. I wanted. Because the, the point I was making with that other episode uh, was that that from the stage, a lot of times different genres are blended and mixed into a play because that's just it's the play is what the play is. It's sure. not really trying. to. So this is kind of like that coming around again, because this is the adaptation of a play by the same guy who wrote the play. He's not going to cut everything. Right. You know, so I'm wondering if if that goofiness affected you a little bit, because I, I it, to me, I was just like, all right, can we wrap? Can we just kind of move on a little bit? It, it did kind of throw me off. I will say like stuff like that. Modern sensibilities that wouldn't be done now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got this wicked sense of humor throughout throughout it, it's which is fine, which comedy. I understand. But yeah. yeah, the clown outfit was really goofy. Yeah. If you did it today, you would definitely even if you stuck to the original a little bit more. I think you would not have him be a clown, even if he dressed up because that just kind of went too far. The putty. There's really hands. no reason for any of that. Yeah, yeah. it just yeah. it that kind of did kind of drag. It was like, all right, get in. Like once he gets in and he's ripping apart everything, that's okay. Right. But trying to get in with the ladder, yeah, and the putty was yeah. just a, this weird goofiness that wasn't yeah. actually goofy enough, I guess. Well, it's. But I also, think, if it was even goofier, a yeah. it would have been funnier, but it would have not been this movie. In terms of the dialogue and the mixing of like you know being funny and, and dramatic and angry and like that's all within dialogue and everyday conversation that happens. You sure. say one thing, you mean another. I think that the, the the stuff that I'm talking about, the goofiness, just kind of pulls me away a little bit. I, where the point was just like, all right, uh, I understand what we're doing. I understand it. Sure. I just don't know if I if I'm really like in love with that uh, that kind of um, just that kind of humor, that kind of physical broad humor in this movie. And I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how that would on the stage how that would play. 
Do you know what I mean? You'd probably be Olivier in the front of the stage while the uh, actor playing Milo comes out. In the clown outfit. In the clown outfit right. from behind. And it's just kind of funny because he's barely visible mm -hmm. and you're watching something else going on. Right, right. They'd be like, oh, look, it's a background. We're not supposed to see it, but we see it. <laughs> Whereas in this, it's front and center and they keep cutting away to it. It's just like, okay. Right. Although I do like the scene before when Milo's really getting into doing this heist and he's getting the clown outfit on. I like that excitement and the playfulness they both share. Right. Because I do like that. White says at the end, they're both very similar to each other. They both enjoy their games, whatever. And although Milo says, oh, no, I don't, you know, I'm not into games or whatever. He is very similar to White. I think mm -hmm. you don't do what Milo does after afterward after he gets fake killed, unless you're a little bit like White. I mean, but and, that's, and that's, that's a lot of setup. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the movie, do you think that? I mean, why would Milo turn to not think that he that uh, uh, White was a threat with the gun? Like, why would he just? Oh, you're not gonna shoot me! Like, I don't understand why he thought that that was. Because I think he thought that White was probably a coward. He right. fake killed him. You know, he he didn't have the balls to actually, you know, go through with murder. Right, right. And all the stuff about murder and all like he's. He wants Marguerite back because she's his property. Mm -hmm. Like, how is killing Milo going to get her back and stuff like that? Yeah. He, I don't think he realizes that Wyke then kind of resigns himself to, I'm not getting anybody back. You've kind of ruined right. everybody for me. See, now, I, I, at the end, I thought that it was more like Wyke didn't like losing the game and he was a sore loser. Oh, he's absolutely yeah. a sore loser. Yeah. yeah, which he kind of admits to. Yeah, but he's not so, um, it's better. It's obviously, it's more fun when you have the upper hand in the game. Right. He's so used to winning the game and being the, the game master that he doesn't like when someone one-ups one him. Right. And uh, Milo one-ups one him twice. Did you see the note that in the stage play, each act ends with a game, game set, set match, and, match, and they yeah. removed it because they didn't think that people would understand what that reference in America. Which is weird because I don't even play tennis and I get that reference. Well, now you get it, but tennis in the 70s, maybe it wasn't as oh, big Maybe in here. the 70s, yeah. yeah. But like nowadays, yeah, everybody goes game set match. You, you're talking like you're just at the beginning of like Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe, which aren't going to come around for another 10 years, maybe five, 10 years. So, you know, it's not really, it's all European. But still, I mean, well, we can get that. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. The, the similarities between this movie and Django Unchained. Do you know what they are? Do you know what it is? So in Django no. Unchained, okay, so in Django Unchained, oh, actually, no, in this one, okay. when Olivier uh, wipes the chess pieces to the floor during the scene, right? he actually cuts his hand. Oh, okay, yeah, and, I did. Really, and okay. he covers it with a handkerchief and puts it in his jacket pocket and continues the scene, and that's in there. Same thing happened with DiCaprio in Django Unchained when, when he, he slaps the slams the glass, the glass down and cuts his hand. So I just, I, that's a, Olivier didn't rub his blood all over Kane's face, though. Well, that was what the scene called for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please! I mean, that you're an actor, you would love that. You'd be like, yeah, you know, I would not like if someone smeared their blood all Come over. Come on, me. in the moment, in the moment. Maybe in the moment, but right afterward. Oh, sure. Cut. <laughs> but it's a great scene. It is a great scene. I mean, you know. That's my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Django. This is uh, that and Pulp. This isn't on the QT. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the wrong episode. <laughs> That's another podcast from Forgotten Entertainment. Check it out. <laughs> did you read the uh, note about how Olivia had trouble memorizing his lines? I did. He was on pills because I guess he had a, he opened a theater. And it wasn't doing so well, and it had just gone under and closed down. 
So he was taking pills to kind of Probably deal with the stress. Pills are oh, I'm yeah, sure, yeah, 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 but I guess it was causing him to not remember his lines. Yeah. And then he stopped taking the pills, and all of a sudden, he yeah. was fine. I guarantee you those pills are, like, illegal now. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> It's straight up heroin in a capsule, probably. Yeah, the barbiturates. Just take them. <laughs> they're fine. They're fine. Uh, how about um, the note that Kane was starstruck uh, working with Olivia? Did you hear that? I did. That? Yeah. What do I call? What do I call you? When we meet, you call me Sir Sir Lawrence Olivia. No, when we first met. Yeah. When we yeah, first yeah. meet, you call me Sir Lawrence Olivia, and I call you Mr. Michael Kane. And afterward, it's Larry and Mike. That's that's a nice line. That's a nice, uh, you know. A nice, I want to say story, I guess a nice right, an- yeah. anecdote, nice anecdote. That's what I was thinking. You always like to hear that people like Lawrence Olivier is often and rightly so considered one of the, well, we talked about it in our Denzel Washington sure. spotlight episode, often talked about as one of the greatest actors of all time. And, and he might certainly be. Mm-hmm. And it's always nice when you, when you hear somebody that grandiose and that great and that he's actually like a really nice mm-hmm. guy and normal and affable and easy to work with. And you don't like the other hand where it's, this person pretends he's the character and starts beating people up on set because he's a psychopath. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Um, well, here's the other thing, too. We always talk about, everyone talks about Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart over here in, in America. Sure. About how oh, classic, classic actors. Oh, they're, they're good times. Humphrey Bogart. But you never talk about Olivia like that over here. I think he's big, which is, un, I'm not saying that that's rightfully so. That's unfortunate. I think it depends on where you are. If you're in a film school or you're in sure. an acting school, of course. You do talk about Let's Olivia. Talk about, like I'm that. talking about the casual but movie. Casual goers. movie goers, yeah. sure. But they're Jimmy Stewart. They're Cary Grant. They're not, they're not characters. They can't I, perform the dramas like no, no, Olivia no. does. What I'm saying is that I would, I would argue that, or not argue, but I would probably guess that Olivia is probably more well known in Europe. Oh, sure. England, I'm not sure he here. Is, That's yeah. what I'm saying. Here, I don't think he's given the same amount of prestige amongst move in terms of like, oh, I got to catch him. He, I love it. I remember him in this. And right. I'm talking about casual. I'm not well, talking about film school. people. I also think that America doesn't have as much of a. Not as high of an opinion as Shakespeare, but as as deeply rooted an opinion of Shakespeare. Well, Shakespeare's not Shakespeare an English, English exactly. Yeah, obviously, That's as, as Americans, we're like huh, snooty English, which is which is ridiculous because he, his stuff is in the public domain and people have no problem doing that, doing Shakespeare. Denzel's over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, I hear you. I just curious, you know, because you never really. I mean, this is our. We've done this for two. We've done 150 episodes. It's our first Olivier film. Because a lot of his films are well known, and plus, yeah, no, I know. Uh, Although Rebecca could could make well, the list. you could make a case that a lot of his movies are forgotten because who talks about them? that's true. A lot of people my age probably have never seen any of those. Yeah, who's who's ever seen the Chronicle History of King Henry V? This battle, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even repeat. I can't even say it. I mean, how many people do you think have seen Marathon Man? How many people have actually seen Marathon Man the whole way through and not just the scene with the de- in the dental chair? <laughs> like, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um. Yeah. All right, well, give me some lines that you liked in the movie, if you have any. Did you have any written down? Uh, I liked um his entire conversation about what it really like. He talks to Milo about being Italian. Yes. But then he talks to uh, him about like, oh, well, I'm. What religion are you? He goes, I'm Catholic. So, well, not really a Catholic. I I actually have no religion. You know. Oh yes, yes. I know quite a few lapsed Catholics. Some of my best friends are lapsed Catholics. <laughs> And it's just like, oh my god! You get like right off the right off the bat, you get his racism and his prejudice, oh, like right there. You get the racism when he before he goes down, he does the Chinese. Uh, oh he, yeah, yeah, he slants his eyes and does the Chinese. Little well, that, thing. that's he's, after the Italian thing, isn't it? No, but I know. But yeah. you also get it there too. Yep. The, yeah, like he he only likes 
because it's weird because Milo's even half English mm-hmm. and he's white. And it's such an interesting kind of racism as well in this film. Because well, because he's a jumped up pantry boy who doesn't know his place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's not just I don't think it's it's not just racism. It's, it's class. Elit- it's elitism, which yeah, is very absolutely. much an English thing. Oh, of course. Um, you know, you're not going to get a lot of that. Old in, money in versus America. new money, that kind yeah. of thing. Yep, yep, yep. So that's definitely something very English, um, something you see, you know, you read a lot in a lot of novels and stuff like that. And here it's like right on center stage. Uh, I also like the quote toward the end. Sex is the game. Yeah. Marriage is the penalty. And I told that I said that to my wife. She didn't think it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the shortest way to a man's heart is through humiliation, which makes sense. Oh, right. How yep. many times have you, how many times do you just rip on people? And then you're just like, oh, I mean, we're just joking. Oh, uh, absolutely. Like that yep. kind of thing. It's kind of like what guys do. Yeah, absolutely. I just have to make sure he was one of us. <laughs> I like that line too. Like the, the whole, like I had to scare him to make sure that he was a good sort. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah, I know there's nothing like a little bit of mayhem to cheer one up. That whole thing. Yeah. The, the other thing is Michael Caine would have died. On that step, because if you, you shot can't him fire point, a blank, point shot blank him point blank in the head with a blank, unless he didn't, sh- unless he pointed it up. But yes, he shoots him in the head point blank with a with a blank. He is, yeah, he's definitely gonna feel that, and get, he's gonna get a concussion. There's, there's an explosion that happens in the he's, barrel of that gun. He's definitely gonna get a concussion. Let's put it that, or you know what I mean. Part of his skull's getting blown off. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But I get it's a movie, so that's fine. Oh, really? <laughs> what were they actually playing? Was it snooker? Is it billiards? Like, is that snooker they were playing, or was that pool? That was pool. Okay, because the, the eight ball was numbers, last, right? they were co- They're all different colors. They were all different colors. Right. I think that's just like a expert pool. So, so where they know the numbers. With, snookers with the red balls and the bumpers. Yeah, I don't know. Sure, maybe I don't do, know. Do I know, know they're they're definitely just playing pool. Yeah, I don't know. I've only played pool a couple of times. But that's definitely what he was playing because he was naming the balls and then he did the black ball last, which right. is always the eight ball. One part of the house I liked. I did not. I am not a big fan of the uh, creepy dolls. I would not have creepy dolls in my house. Not like I no, wasn't I mean, a fan of the movie. Some of them, like some of them were interesting, but yeah, that they were too creepy. But they reminded I, me of House with the Clock on its Walls. But I like when the at, when those things attack them. Oh right, right, yeah. <laughs> well, just yeah, creepy. It's just like creepy. <laughs> Check that's another episode we did. Um, so I do like and I want that outdoor inner sanctum. Oh, the hedge. The, that's my very first note. I, I want a hedge maze. I, I want the hedge stuff. I want the inner sanctum where I'm hidden, but I also want the cement coolers where I open them up and there's just there's ice drinks and, and stuff, drinks stuff like and that. Stuff like that. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> I do like one of the things I really like toward the beginning, which I didn't realize later on, is the beginning when he opens up his cooler and Milo asks for vodka. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I don't have vodka. I just have gin. And gin is a very iconically English liquor. And vodka is thought of as like a Russian kind yeah. of foreign kind of liquor. And he does not have that liquor it's, in yeah, his cooler. It's not, being, it's not, it's not, it's not becoming. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. So he's got, he's got gin. Of course he does. I thought that was really good. <laughs> I do like the actual crossword puzzle by the toilet, though. I could get into that, but that's, you got to get a new one after you finish it, right? But that's fine. Right. How, I mean, it's a huge puzzle, and you're going to be on the toilet. Yeah, on it, Rick. I'm going to need another one sent to me. <laughs> but I did like that too. I like he's got a on uh, his one of his dressers when he first Milo first walks into the house. There's a dog statue on a, an end table, and inside that dog statue's back, it's hollowed out. And our smaller dog statues within that other dog statue. They must have just sent the. I mean, I they shot the note I had for this is they shot this on the soundstage over in England, obviously. So the the soundstage that they used the cellar part, not where the the they, they must obviously they must have just had somebody go in and get a bunch of stuff to fill the room up. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. But the cellar when they're in the cellar, 
Um, that's actually the uh, that's the first class reading and writing room that was because they shot in Pinewood Studios. It's actually the first class reading and writing room for the RMS Mortania, which is it was a luxury ocean liner. And its sister, its sister ship was the Lusitania. Obviously, everyone probably knows what the RMS what happened to the RMS Lusitania. So that's actually the a room from the ship in Pinewood Studios that they use. Where in the cellar you can actually see. The life preserver. One of the life preservers, yeah. That, so I thought that was really a cool fact. It cool, was a yeah. nice note. It's yeah. interesting that they carved out an entire room out of a ship and sent <laughs> yeah. it somewhere. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, we could use this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I didn't realize that you can't find this streaming anywhere. I didn't really realize either. I mean, obviously, we couldn't find it streaming. Fun fact, if you're trying to watch Sleuth, you got to go through some other means to try to get it. No comment. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you should. But it's I guess owned by a pharmaceutical was, company. Which shut down their, they had an entertainment division, which shut down. <laughs> well, I don't get so that. My thing is, why not just sell everything? And also, who can I talk to about buying the rights to Sleuth? Two, 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 things, two things we make here. Provasic and movies. <laughs> <laughs> People will know where that's from. <laughs> I want the rights to Sleuth. I want to know how much they are, and I want to buy them off whoever actually owns this. Right, but right. I can get you 20 units of Azor. It's a heart pressure medication. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the let's talk about the remake. Let's talk about the differences. I, I know you don't like the remake. The remake sucks. So the, in two thousand seven, I, I I said before they did a remake. Kenneth Branagh directed it. Michael Caine played the white character, uh, the older gentleman, and Jude Law plays the Tyndall character. And it's shorter film. It's an hour and a half. It's not two hours and eighteen minutes. And it's uh the house. It's still kind of like a English manor, but the inside of the house, which is clearly a set. It's like modern art. It's all modern and all digital. It looks like Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. Yeah, it does. In 2007. It's a little off-putting. It, yeah. It's a little off-putting. Um, and aside from that, that's obviously a difference. I, there's a note that I had that Kane said that he took the role because it wasn't the same movie, which is fine. He didn't really want to redo it. But also, like no lines from the original were in the remake, which is BS because he says one of the lines. There and, are yeah. some, some dialogue is taken verbatim yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, but there's a... So, they kind of pretty much follow the same formula a little bit, obviously updated and they pick it up. But it's not, not, not the first as, half is definitely not as same. much of it gets to it real quick. It gets to it quicker in Too terms quick. of, I know, but I'm just saying it <laughs> yeah. gets to it quicker. Um, there's no uh, back and forth. A lot of times there is, but it's in the confines of just the, the crux of the plot. It's sure. basically pared down, but the change happens where the, it veers from the first movie a little bit is the third act where basically the same idea where white, sees something in Tyndall. He thinks, oh, we can get along, just like in the original. Right. But that becomes something like, why don't you stay with me? It becomes like a homosexual affair you almost. You can be my kept boy kind yeah, of. Yeah, it becomes something like that. Um, but what I wanted to ask you was, did you get that impression from the original? No, not at all. Okay. It was clearly just updated to be shocking and and a twist. It was. It's all, it's not very well done. It's all very much like, hey, I want to do the sleuth. I think I can write it just as good. <laughs> And then trying to write it and like borrowing dialogue verbatim because you can't write your own good dialogue because all the rest of the dialogue is all the cleverness and wittiness of the old dialogue goes away. And they just have this repartee that's so quick. And you think the quick is wit, but it's just fast talking. And it's just all the subtext, all the interest goes away. He just brings up hairdresser because it's in the original. Well, but I think in like, this, in this no, movie, because oh. in the movie, in the, in the 2007 version, um, the Tyndall character is an actor. But he uh, he he says 
Wyke says, like, aren't you a hairdresser? He's like, no, I'm an actor. And I think he keeps using hairdresser as a as a derogatory term. Oh, yeah, I know. But it's yeah. just there because it's in the original. It still makes no sense. Sure. Also, the Italian thing doesn't really make much sense in Tindalini. 2007. Yeah. Oh, you're half Italian. You're a half breed. No. Yeah, the racism it, really doesn't The racism play. would have to work better. You would have to get someone who was, like, half black or, some, or half Asian or half Something of a different race as well. Well, the movie came about because Jude Law gave this play to the writer. I can't blank it on his name. Uh, Harold Pinters. Yes, like yes, that's right. And said, write me a movie. I want to make a movie. And that, that's how it came. So Jude Law's not going to not do it. <laughs> that's got to be, that part's got to be taken out. It's got to just be about class then. Maybe. So you would prefer, if, they're, if, if, if they were going to remake it, you would prefer more, would you prefer set back in, Back in the seventies or back in the sixties, and just do it like the same kind of way they did it with uh, Kane and Olivier, or just kind of update it and modernize it. If you did it back in the day, you'd have to make it really sleek and interesting and mm -hmm. fun. And I think that um, someone like Wait, are we casting the remake? Is that what we're I'm doing? Casting here? the director, uh, Guy Ritchie. Oh, someone no, like Guy Ritchie. No. Well, like something with that kind of sleekness, where it's like it goes back and it goes through. Something with that, and an inherently kind of British director. If you did it in modern day, you would just have to do like modern games, oh, but you can okay. definitely do something like that. So I wouldn't mind. It would just depend on how your angle was, how you were doing it. So cast the, cast the remake. We're making this movie 2023. It's coming out uh, Thanksgiving weekend, right. so, 20th Century Fox. So I'll be Tyndall. Uh, no, no. You Robert Downey chose yourself. Robert Downey Jr. has got to be white. It would be a great white because he's about, eccentric enough, and I think that would work. What about Russell Crowe? Yes, but he'd be a much more sinister kind of. But he would be more, much more of a blowhard kind of like time has passed him by. He's no longer popular kind of thing. Like Olivier character, like he's an older man. Yeah, he can't be seen. I can't see. I can't see Russell Crowe going eccentric. But though. the thing with White is that White can't be somebody who um, can still has sex appeal. He's got, that's you know what true. I mean? Okay. He's got to yeah, be somebody yeah, yeah. who, because he lies about it, but he's got to be somebody who's impotent, basically, because that's what happens. Oh, put Downey in a fat suit. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe would do a good job. Uh, and Milo. Must be someone young. Kit Harrington. He's handsome, but he's short. And he comes off as kind of, even in like, in Game of Thrones and the Eternals is kind of someone that kind of is afraid of himself. And I think that that could work really well. I'm going to say his name wrong because I always do butcher it. The guy who played, um, Martin Luther King and Selma. Oh yeah. Um, David Ole Ole Oleo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, going along the lines of what you were talking about with the remake in terms it of would that racism. To, it would, yeah. Play. He would do a great job. Yeah. I don't think anybody else. Well, just to go along yeah. the lines of using that kind of um, you're not better. You're not as good as me. Maybe you do need to have, you know, just the kind of that difference in race or ethnicity, at least something rather than just saying like the Italian stuff that they did in 2007. Yeah, it doesn't, I just, it doesn't track. Reverse the racism. You could do uh, an older um, black gentleman and like a white guy and the white guy's not good enough for his black I just, daughter. Kind see, of a thing. Here's the thing. I just think that using the using race as an angle in the new if in a remake it's kind of it's easy like cheap. to do, and it's, yeah. it's it's very like it's overdone now. Interesting, I think. yeah. yeah. I, I I would want something Class a little more. I don't mind it. I just want something a little more layered into why you don't think I'm good enough. That kind Class of thing works a little better. Yeah, but I I don't. I think this could be done again, and I think. I, I, but I would like it more like the original. Not. I understand what you're trying to do in 2007. What Brown's trying to do, he's trying to do something different and and more modernized. He's I get to be it. Edgy. I get it. I get it. But you also don't know if that's the directive of the studio. So who knows? 
because we know oh, we're not. I'll tell you the director for the studio for the 2007. <laughs> put as much product placement in this thing as you can. Where? Oh my God, Samsung, Nokia, uh, Belvedere. First of all, Peroni. It's all like out front well, and center. That remote that he uses in that, it's like one button. And I'm like, it's one I, button does everything. Well, yeah. The infrared has to be a direct line of sight or I else know. it's just activating everything at once. And then I know we're getting off topic, but in that movie, he has a, a ladder that comes down from the window. From nowhere. Why? <laughs> Used to drop down a ladder. It's the only one yeah. in the house. So this ladder looks like it's only here just for the express purpose of if you somehow break into the into my place, this is how you can get down. There's no other reason for the ladder. <laughs> so stupid. All right. Well, you know, let's I, I wanted to talk about the differences a little bit between the original and the, and the remake. So I'll go back to the original just so that this is what the episode's about. <laughs> uh, the original's better. No, I. I, I yeah, we talk about, I guess I got, I don't want to start doing a couple of notes. Well, what else maybe that you thought of in the movie that you, you enjoyed or we haven't talked about? We haven't. I like um, one thing I was wondering if, if you liked the cutaways to, I can't remember if it was Laughing Jack or Laughing John, the statue, how it emoted differently in different scenes, setups as a reaction to um, Wyke's emotions or every time Milo kind of set up Wyke. Uh, I thought I was a little bit, I, when they kept going to the, to the laughing pirate, it was at some point I was like, all right, enough. It was a little too much. But then and when they kept doing some of the audio stuff, when they kept going to stuff that was playing and they were talking over the, the music boxes and the right. toys, I was having a tough time understanding what the heck was going on. I couldn't understand what they were saying. Yeah, it only worked for me once. I thought it was well done when Milo had tricked Wyke the first time mm -hmm. and he was discussing what he did and he turns on the uh, the one that plays New Year's theme. The, the little acrobat guy. Yes, yes, yes. Because that's clearly to upset Andrew. He's trying to talk to him. This at the end. Yeah, and he's yeah. all upset, and this thing's annoying the crap out of him on yes. purpose. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the other times, yeah, I thought it was just kind of in the way of dialogue, unnecessary. One of the things in this movie, because it's a play that's being adapted into a film, one of the one of the things you get a lot, and because there's only two actors, is you get a lot of people, a lot of actors, Andrew and Milo, explaining actions that happen off screen. And that's they, very play like. Yes. yes. And that's kind of maybe where I thought I don't think you need to add other characters other. I don't need to see other than the two. No, it's a two. I understand show, what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I wonder if you back to doing a remake or redoing it. I wonder if we talked about modern sensibilities, if you do have to include more actors and actresses in the movie in terms of like showing the scene when Milo meets his mistress and whereas he's explaining what he did, but you see it may, it might be a lie like a flash, but you see it. Yeah, it. yeah. As long as she doesn't have dialogue. Okay. But do it like that. Do it yeah. like he's, he's, he's narrating what happens. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm okay with that. I right. don't think anyone else should have dialogue. Mm -hmm. I do like that. The only dialogue is between the two people and any other voices you hear are just the other actors pretending mm -hmm. to be other characters that are not really there. Right. Right. Okay. I, I think that works. Because uh, in the remake, they actually show the the wife coming back, driving in the car. They show her hand out of the car, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't understand that. You can keep her. I don't want her. <laughs> Do you, I did, the one thing I didn't get in the film was the hidden red car. Now, did, like he hides his car, but was that just to, in case I die, he's got the red car all hidden like he was trying to cover up a murder? Or was it just, hey, I parked here, let me hide the car so that they think I'm the constable and not Milo? Yeah, I think I, I actually think that that's from Milo hiding it when he walks up to the just because he yes, was trying to but be I, constable. But they're showing you that because your the intent is like, oh, he's hit his car because he's still dead. Like you don't know he's not dead. 
Oh, it's to kind of hide the fact I th- that you I think, think it's that- a, I think it's it's in the movie. It's explained like he hits how he drove up and he's hidden it so he wouldn't see it. But you're to put, the audience was to take that distill the lie that he's dead. that he has murdered. Yeah, him. right. So okay. I think that that works both ways. That sure. Way. Yeah. Um, although now he's dead at the end, so it really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely he's definitely not down for the count. Is he dead? Could he survive? Who knows? I mean, I think he's dead. Too, but yeah, well, he's, I mean, they never you he never really collapse, see. It. Yeah. I mean, I think for the sake because of the play, they're not going to really tell you. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, 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 there's no end card going. Milo survived. It's actually, he's looking <laughs> yeah, he well over with Marguerite. <laughs> I. What about when they're in? When the inspector first shows up, and it's dark out, and they're talking, and then they're like, "Let's go outside." You buried him outside. Let's go outside, and they go outside, and it's clearly light out. It's clear- I thought the same thing. I was like, "Wait, how late of the night was it?" Because now it's light. It wasn't a very good night for day, but that's the seventies. So you get a lot I of that you. night or day for night rather. That's just really bad one thing they do i love how it was really easy to remove all that spirit gum uh he ruins those towels oh for sure and he uh, just uses his, the other guy's deodorant andrew's deodorant and stuff and yeah like, <laughs> ruins all those towels i do like in the remake when he to get dumps, rid of the man he, pour, he dumps the vodka on his face and he's like ah because <laughs> ah, that's really what <laughs> but then like but then like he's got the bike he's got the towel and he wets away and it's like it's all gone i'm like wow <laughs> 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 uh, I, I really do want the game that Wyke's playing. I, I want to know what game that is with the squares. He's the, like, it's taken me months to get to this oh, point the in the game. Early, yeah, like the long table of of squares with each piece is like yeah. completely different. Yeah, like, I I don't know what game that is. I have to go back and find the name of that game, but I kind of want to know what game that is and how to play it. Well, it you want to get weird. in on that? You want to get some get some action on that game? All right, it takes like eight years to play. Sure. <laughs> I don't even know how to play chess, but let's learn how to play that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess we've. Oh, you know what? Did you ever see Death Trap? No. So that Michael Caine's in that too, and it's kind of similar to this movie that came out in '82. That's with Christopher Reeve. Okay. Uh, and that's the the poster for that is like a Rubik's cube, and like the the top's being lifted off, and you see Christopher Reeve's face coming out or something. I've like seen that. the poster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that I guess it's very similar to that film, and I've. I've only seen like bits and pieces of that. So that's actually on my list over there. I'm going to check out. Uh, I'm going to watch. <laughs> uh, one question I have for you Ooh. that I was confused about in the movie is why did Milo go into the closet at the end, grab what I assume is either Andrew's mistress or Marguerite's raincoat and put it on the hook? I didn't get that either because when he shows up, the, 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 the raincoat is on the hook right in the beginning. And I was like, oh, she's still there she's uh, i didn't understand that i don't know and maybe and and nothing i read and when we went through it revealed anything and i'm wondering if that's something from the play they just kind of put in there to kind of kind of keep like keep something a nod to the play to kind of thing but yeah i don't because he goes up and gets the fur coat that's upstairs right it wasn't about the raincoat uh, no. yeah i just didn't understand that so yeah. it was never explained mm-hmm. so it's right before he gets shot yeah and it was out on the coat rack the entire time when the the when, first time when he, he visited, first time yeah. yeah when he gets visited, yeah. yeah yeah I don't know okay I don't know a couple other notes uh real quick uh the photo that was used to replace the damaged photo when he shoots it and then he hides the bullet hole because when the inspector comes yep, back there's yep, a bullet yep. in it that is actually a photo of Dame Agatha Christie for all those uh, horror writer fans out there <laughs> not horror writer mystery fans out there sorry um also you notice that uh, there was a picture of the Duke of Windsor on one of the they were 
scrolling by and they had two frame photos and one of them is Duke of Windsor. Mm. That was actually put up because during production, Duke of Windsor passed away. So they did that to honor the Duke. And do you know whose likeness was used for the wife? The painting of the wife? Uh, no. Paul Newman's wife. Really? Joanne Woodley. Just because? I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody knew somebody there, or maybe she was you know somebody who's very popular. I don't know. I do know they had a Baker Street. Uh, yeah, they do a couple references. Well, yep. so they have a couple of mystery. They have the, the Baker Street reference uh, street sign, and then the other street sign, which I'm blanking on the name, was actually where Jack the Ripper's murder took place. The first yes. murder took place. Yeah. So that's what they have that there. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's also some stuff. There's some like interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I know we're probably gonna already say why this was forgotten. It's old. It's almost. It's 50 years old this year. You can't find it. Well, that's ridiculous, but yes. But this is 50 years old this year, 2022. It's the 50th anniversary coming up uh, at the end of the year. Let's go Shout Factory or something like that. Buy the rights to well, this. Let's, and let's go, go TCM or yeah. let's get a let's get a uh, whatever it is. Uh, what do they do now? Fathom event. That, well, that's a Turner Classic. Yeah, yeah, classic. Let's go. Yeah. But they'd have to get the rights. I think that's why it's forgotten as well, because you can't watch it. You can't see it. It's not running on HBO. I probably watched this on HBO back in the day. That's where I know I've watched yeah. it. One of the movie channels. And then in the pharmaceutical company must have went under with their <laughs> entertainment division. I just don't get why you didn't sell your ad. I, I mean, it's just, I don't understand. But I think if this movie was still shown, I think a few more people would know about this. At least a few more people that like film. Because I think yeah. when you're talking about Michael Caine's films, I think this is definitely one of the better ones. I think if you talk about Laurence Olivier, this would be the one to show them. This would be the one to show them and be like, you like him? Well, you should watch some of the Exactly. You can yeah, watch some of the headier, more Shakespearean stuff after you watch this. Which sure. Is, very fun, especially after someone goes because you can easily show anybody from the modern time like Clue and they'll like it because yes. it's funny. And then after Clue, you can probably be like, you might like Sleuth because mm-hmm. it's also very clever, done in the same time period, shot very similarly. So watch Sleuth now and then they can go and watch Laurence Olivier or maybe watch some older Michael Caine films from when he was not Alfred from Batman. Oh, uh, that's the guy from Batman. <laughs> and all that, the Christopher Nolan films. You, you know that's what everyone's going to say. I know, I know. That's uh, the guy from Jaws for the Revenge. You know he was get he was in Get Carter. He's the main character. He's Sylvester Stallone. No, the good Get Carter. He's Alfie. Oh, the Jude Law one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, but yeah, I think the fact that you can't get it does it a more disservice than not. I think I think more people would know it if it wasn't lost. Agreed. I think that. But I think the fact that it's older, that it's older actors that are in it now, it is very British. Nothing wrong Again, with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think we're a little bit kind of like Anglophiles in terms of liking a lot of British stuff. Yeah. But I think some British stuff's kind of harder to like or not. We were talking about being excited for Chicken Run 2 and uh, well, the new Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. But that's also very dry British humor. So you kind of have to like that. Yeah, you do. And, you know, I think I made the comment to you that, you know, Ardman, Ardman is is very good. And they, they've, they've produced a lot of really cool stuff that doesn't get the same attention in terms of the, not within the industry, but casual movie fans as like Pixar does and, and, you know, Disney animation. Right. But you know, they should. And I think the Netflix deal for them is, is a good, is a good deal for them. And, for sure. And then I hope, you know, that helps them because they, they lost like a bunch of stuff in a fire like a decade ago or something like that. Uh, the original yeah, Wallace yeah. and Gromit actually yeah. burned it. Burned alive. All right. Calm down. Where can they find us? <laughs> you can find us on forgottenentertainment.com or forgottencinemapodcast.com. We are part of the forgotten entertainment family. So go check out all those other great podcasts while you're there. We did mention on the QT uh, earlier in this episode. You can also find us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. It helps our podcast grow. The more we grow, the more cool stuff we can do. And that just benefits you guys. But also secretly us. And uh, yeah, that's what I got. That's it.
That's it. Enjoy us next week as we're going to watch a movie shot on an iPhone. That's the Steven Soderbergh film Unsane from 2018. Butler has not seen this film. I have not. I have. We actually, I, we know somebody that was in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Not, that was in it? Yeah. I don't know if he listens to the show, but uh, Art Schaefer. Uh, oh, he's in? He plays oh, a ba- yeah. I think you told yeah. me about Okay. He's yep. in the background. So he does, he does a lot of, uh, a friend of ours uh, who uh, was a police officer here. And work, would work at the theater with us, and he and I play basketball with him. Uh, he does, uh, he does like acting. He does like a lot of like behind the scenes stuff, not behind the scenes, excuse me, extra work and and stuff like that. A right. lot of the uh, uh, the ID shows where he's doing the, the recreating stuff, but he's actually in this movie because they shot in the city uh, way back in 2017. I was like, hey, there he is. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Good for him. But yeah, unsane. Uh, don't be alarmed. It that was shot on iPhone. It's it. I actually was really into it. So uh, that's next week. Uh, Until then, have a great week, everybody. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.